The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C dot com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's message, we continue looking at Job's answer to Zophar. Zophar, you may recall, was Job's harshest critic, and Job's answer to Zophar is the longest yet. He begins his answer by focusing upon God, Then he begins to focus upon himself. As we continue looking at his answer, we'll see some of Job's pride beginning to seep in, but we'll ultimately hear him ask some questions that need answers, and the answers to which should satisfy all of us as to God's righteousness and holiness. So join us today as we continue looking at Job's answer to Zophar. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
Job got some things wrong. His pride will bleed through as we go through this book of Job. But one thing he got right is he kept focusing on the, the thing that was the only hope that's ever been for any child of God, which is that eventually, ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ will come on the scene and will die death that will put away sin. He will be resurrected and ultimately in the last days we will stand before God in a glorified state. That's what he's going to say. I don't want to... I don't want to uh, Give it all away, but you know what happens in, John, in Job 19. I know that my Redeemer liveth, he says. And in the last days, he will stand on this earth. I love that. He said, yea, though the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh will I see God, whom I will see for myself. If you sat down with Job and said, Job, tell me exactly how that's going to happen. Who's going to put away your sins? How's it going to work? He, he'd say, you know, I just don't really know. Oh, but I got a hope. I see it afar off. I think that's what he's alluding to here. He bringeth out to light the shadow of death. When you're in the shadow of death, the, most, the thing you want the most is light of some sort. In the thing, you know, the movies that, that make us... Uh, the, to me at least, that I love the most are those movies like, you know, that, that, that open up the, the, the portal of death, so to speak. And you have, you know, there's movies like, what's it called, Ghost. And, and there's another movie uh, about another guy who comes back as a spirit. And, you know, you like those movies because it points you to something beyond death. And those are just movies. Those are fiction. Those don't, it doesn't happen like that. We've got the best movie there is right here in the Word of God. It's better than any movie Hollywood could ever make. And it opens up the doors of death. It brings to light the shadow. I believe that's what we see coming through from Job. And I believe that's why his, that's the patience of Job that I believe is being talked about in the book of James. It's the patience of waiting upon the Lord, even in the midst of the struggles of life. I love this book because it takes us from the very beginning of time, so to speak, the very first book that was inspired by God, and it's dealing with a man who's living under the very shadow of death. I feel like we're living under the shadow of death today. I feel like as I look at the news and I see all the devastation in Ukraine and I see all the troubles in Washington, D.C., and I, I just look around me. We've got a, a prayer list that's full of people who've died, unexpectedly some of them, at a young age, many of them. Tragedies as we see it in people struggling like Job. He said, my God bringeth out to light the shadow of death. Oh, there's trouble in the world today, Job. What are we going to do? He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. <laughs> I tell you, that old bear, Russia, over there, looks, looms pretty large in our vision today, doesn't it? It's, it's scary. It, it's, it's troubling. It looks, it looks invincible. What are we going to do? What are we going to do about Russia? What are we going to do if the Soviet Union, he's threatening nuclear war. What are we going to do? God increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. <laughs> he told, hey, guy, he said, the time's coming. I'm going to shake all nations. You know, he did that for the children of God. Now, now, look, I'm not talking about some kind of absolutism here where God is 
installing wicked rulers in order for him to use their wickedness for his good end. No, he's just suffering these things to happen. He suffers men to be men, sinners to be sinners. He knows what's going to happen, but he's always the great overruler. He's always the one who's, you know, you think about that Russian sickle, that bear that looks like it's ready to fall upon Europe. Hey, there's the hand of God ready to fall upon that nation if necessary, if it's in his will, you see. It says he increaseth the nation. That's what he did for the nation of Israel, isn't it? For the nation of Israel, the Babylonians came, rose up in authority and power. And dominated the civilized world in that day, the known world in that area in that day. In order to bring the nation of Israel from Jerusalem back to Babylon, to punish them. I say punish, really to chasten them. Punish is okay to use, I suppose, but really it's chastening. Punishment sounds like wrath of God poured out upon the unregenerate, but actually it was chastening upon his people. And in order to fulfill his promise, and get them back to Jerusalem. And by the way, thereby fulfilling prophecies of the coming Christ. You know, Christ wasn't to be born in Babylon. That means that the children of Israel had to get back to Jerusalem. You know what God did? In a day, he overthrew. He, 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 uh, he suffered and, and providentially provided for the Assyr- the, the uh, uh, for the Persians to come in and overthrow the Babylonians. He overthrew the throne of kingdoms. That's what he told Haggai to tell the, the, those Jews that went back, said, I'll overthrow the throne of kingdoms for you. Ultimately, he did that with the Romans. <laughs> Ultimately, I believe it was God's providential hand that preserved his people throughout the Roman domination. I believe one of the reasons the Romans fell is because of the way they treated God's people. He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighteneth them again. He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and causeth them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. They grope in the dark without light and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. (laughs) I don't mean to harp on current events, but I think we all would agree that Vladimir Putin is a kind of an intimidating fellow. I see him in the same light as maybe a Nebuchadnezzar of the Bible. You know, Nebuchadnezzar carried the power of life and death. Vladimir Putin Putin has the power of life and death in his country. He's causing a lot of death right now in the Ukraine. But you know what he can do? God can take away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and cause them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. If you don't believe me, ask Nebuchadnezzar when you get to heaven. I believe... I believe he's in heaven, but that's my opinion. You may have a different opinion. I won't argue with you about it. You may be right. But if he's in heaven, ask Nebuchadnezzar, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you're a pretty mighty king. In fact, you were kind of the head of all Babylon. And one time, I recall, you walked in the palace there and said, it's not this great Babylon which I built. And then tell me what happened after that. I believe God took away the heart of the king, did he not? He took away the heart of the chief of the people and he wandered out in the, in the wilderness where there is no way. He acted like a, a beast of the field. <laughs> he looked like a beast. He acted like a beast. We would say he, went, he lost his mind is what we would say today. He could do that to Vladimir Putin. 
He could do that. He could do that to any of the chief of the peoples of the world today. See, Job goes through here and he says, the, the, the whole theme really of chapter 12 here is God is so great. You're telling me that God's great? You don't have a clue so far. God is so great. He's even greater than you think he is. You think you've got him pegged. But he's greater than that. And then in chapter 13, which we'll go into just a little bit here tonight, he begins to make a little defense of himself. He said, you know, hey, God is so great, first of all. And secondly, I'm still righteous. I'm not as bad as you think I am. You know, you're, tell, you're accusing me of some things. In verses 1 through 6 here, he said, you know, I've seen these things. Look at it, verse 1 through 6. Lo, mine eyes have seen all this. Mine ear hath heard and understood it. I get this. You're trying to tell me about God. I know about God. What ye know, the same do I know also. I'm not inferior unto you. This may sound like a little pride here. I don't really think this is the, the gist of the pride of Job. I think Job's just defending himself. He's just saying, look, you're telling me all this stuff that you think, you think I'm lying. You think I don't know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not inferior to you. Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. Now, maybe here he's saying some things that he doesn't really know what he's saying. You know, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> God, I wish you would come down and set things right. Well, he might have some things to say to you, you know. <laughs> Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God, but ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. You know, Job hits on a point here that we need to remember, as I've said many times, when we come to people that are suffering. Are you going to be a physician or are you going to be a prosecutor? You want to come in there and prosecute them and say, here's what you did wrong and this is what you ought to do right. And you, this is, you know, buddy, you should have been a little better here. And it's no wonder the Lord, you know, one place they, I believe it was so far said, you're not getting as much as you deserve. Well, that's true. All that's true. Brother Buddy had his, had his surgery a little while back, and he was suffering pretty, pretty bad. And I went up to see him, you know, after he got to where he could feel like visitors. And, you know, Brother Mackey, I could have gone in there and said, well, how are you feeling, Brother Buddy? Oh, it's hurting. Well, it ought to be hurting worse. <laughs> you deserve worse. <laughs> now, would that have done any good? You know, I went in there and Brother Buddy was struggling. Brother Buddy was feeling bad, you know. And, and I, I didn't go in there and try to sit there and point out to him, well, you know, it could be worse. In fact, it ought to be. But, you know, it would have been true. You know, Brother Buddy would agree with me, I think, that uh, his suffering was bad during his surgery. But, you know, as far as what we deserve, it could have been worse. And we couldn't accuse God of being unjust. But you see, he's saying, what are you doing here? <laughs> if you're here as a physician, you're missing the boat. You've really messed up. You're physicians of no value. There's no healing in your words. In verse 5 and 6, he said, oh, I love this. Oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. Hear now my reasoning and hearken to the pleadings of my lips. In other words, I really wish you'd shut up and listen to me. <laughs> That's what he's saying here. 
And notice in verse 7, he says, Will you speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for Him? In other words, are you going to lie on behalf of God? Are you, you're trying to represent God, but you're really misrepresenting Him. Will you accept His person? Will you contend for God? Is it good that He should search you out? Or as one man mocketh another, do you mock Him? In other words, what if God came down and searched you out, old buddy? <laughs> you call calling me some kind of hypocrite and unrighteous? What about yourself? Verse 10, he will surely reprove you if you do secretly accept persons. And that's really what they were doing. They were, they were accepting. In other words, they were a respecter of persons. That's what they were doing. They were trying to. Now, they may have had a different opinion of Job before all of his troubles. But they were kind of in this self-righteous mode. They, you know, stick their chest out and. Probably like some of the hypocrites that Jesus talked about made long speeches and prayers on the corners where people could see them out in the street corners. Job was right in there with them, you know, as far as their view. I don't think Job was self-righteous like them and to that extent. He had some degree of self-righteousness, but not to their, that extent. But, you know, it's a sure bet that when the trouble comes to you, the self-righteous will, will abandon you. Because see, they saw you, it's all well and good when you're all in the same boat. Oh, look at old Job, he's being blessed, I'm being blessed. God, we must be doing right. Oh, look at what happened to Job. Well, that must mean he's a wicked man. He was, he's not as good as we are. So now they're not his buddy, his friend like they were before. They're secretly accepting persons. He just wasn't as good as we are. Shall not his excellency make you afraid and his dread fall upon you? I want to share this with you, and then we'll probably stop here. What he's basically said in verses 7 through 11 is it's all well and good to claim to speak for God. What are you going to do when he comes on the scene and he starts looking at you? He starts turning his probing eye upon your life and upon you. It reminded me when I read this of uh, a portion of one of C.S. Lewis's books. I don't, if you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, I don't care if you're a grown-up, it's worth a read. I read them when I was a kid, and they are directed toward kids, but let me tell you, they're good for adults too. The Chronicles of Narnia are about a fictional land named Narnia where Christ appears in the figure of a lion, a great lion named Aslan. So this great lion, Aslan, created Narnia, and there's a book about that. One of the seven books is about the creation of Narnia. The rest of the books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, is probably the most famous of the books, is about these children from England who get transported initially through a wardrobe into that land and have great adventures there, all of them teaching us some really good scriptural lessons that, that line up, as I said, for the most part with scripture. There's the last of the books is called The Last Battle. And not to give too much away in case you're going to read it if you haven't, but it's about the end of Narnia. And there's a point in that book, The Last Battle, where there is a battle. It centers around a stable on a hill. And there's this group of... Um, there's this country 
that uh, borders Narnia, that's full of wicked men who worship a wicked god. Their god's name is Tash, and that, that god is a, it sort of corresponds to the devil in our world. And, and, be, and one of the things I love about C.S. Lewis is he gets it. He, he understands exactly how the devil works, or very much how the devil works. And those, those wicked men come in to infiltrate Narnia and take it over. And one of the things they do is they combine the concept of Tash, this devil figure, and the concept of Aslan, the Christ figure. And they bring them together and say, oh, they're just one anyway. There's no devil. There's no Tash. And there's no Aslan or Christ. They're just all one. It's really, and they begin to call him Tashlan. And they, so I know that's a little complicated explanation, but just understand there's some wicked men that do not believe what they're teaching who are coming in and, and, and combining these concepts and, and, and say, and then they begin to use this ruse against the good people of Narnia and they start threatening them with, hey, our God Tash or Tashland will, will come when he's, he's in this stable now. He's here. And if you don't, if you don't do what we say, we're going to throw you in the stable and you're going to be destroyed by this wicked Tash, this devil figure. The only problem with that is, is that ultimately, eventually, in this story, that devil figure actually shows up. <laughs> this one that they really didn't believe in. They really didn't think, would come, that they were just using to control the people. He actually shows up. <laughs> and ultimately, the guy in charge, whose name was Rishta Tarkin, suddenly realized that the god that he'd been calling on that he didn't believe in had actually shown up. And this is what C.S. Lewis wrote about that. And I thought about this as we were, as Job says, you keep calling on God. You keep wanting him to show up. What if he does? <laughs> now listen to this. No one except Farsight the eagle, who has the best eyes of all living things, noticed the face of Rishta Tarkin, at that moment. And from what Farsight saw there, he knew at once that Rishda was just as surprised and nearly frightened and nearly as frightened as everyone else. There goes one, thought Farsight, who has called on gods he does not believe in. How will it be with him if they have really come? Now, I thought that was a pretty interesting observation. And that's kind of what Job's getting at here. He's saying, you keep talking about God. You keep talking about how he is and how you know all about him. And you've got this, this idea of him that is absolutely the way it is in your mind. What if he shows up? What if he comes and turns his probing eye on you? And of course, we know that's ultimately what God does. There's a lot more that Job's going to say about this and I love this book, as I said, because it's just so applicable to us today. I preached a series some time back on, on the book of Mark. And, um, and one, of the, one of the sermons, the title of it was, Is Your God in a Box? And I think that's a good question to ask tonight. Their God was in a box of their own making, of their own mind, that they had 
set up. Job's God was not in a box. And I can tell you tonight, our God is not in a box. He's a great God, and he's still present and accounted for in the life of Job, even though they think that Job has done so much that God has forsaken him. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.